We've been in the series learning all about Joseph's life, and uh, we've been learning about how he has gone through some really low lows and then ends up in one of the highest places. And uh, God's been doing a huge work through Joseph. He's been bending him into what he wants him to be. And uh, so we're just going to sing a song, uh, an original song. It's by Brandon Heath. It's called Bend. And uh, my friend over here, Keaton, is going to do a little interpretive drawing, worship through art. Um, so just sit back and enjoy this. Um, it's just about the story of Joseph. And hope you enjoy it. Mercy in the sun. 
Because we're going to unpack today the opportunities that we have and that God brings us when abuse and loneliness and rejection and all of that stuff that just seems to overwhelm us can actually be those things that, that, that bend our character. In 1999, I was wounded to the core of my being. I've been serving in a church for a while and then suddenly I just wasn't. For the first time in more than a decade, I was no longer Pastor Grant, I was just Grant. And for the first time in my life, rumors were circulating about my character in a community that I'd grown to love, and I placed the blame for those rumors squarely at the feet of one individual. I allowed a root of bitterness to grow down deep into my heart, and what I call a carcinoma of the soul just set in, in the deepest part of me. I allowed terrible, angry, murderous thoughts to creep into my mind as I planned out my revenge. And, and, and before you react to the word murderer, just so you know, Scripture says whatever a man thinks, so is he. So if you've ever whispered under your breath, drop dead, you're a murderer just like me. Congratulations. Well, I just described a little slice of my story and used the word revenge, I promise you... It, if you're a human being and have a pulse, somebody's face flashed in your mind. Suddenly my story was replaced by your story, and the person who betrayed me was suddenly the person who betrayed you and wounded you and marked your soul and flashed into the center of your mind. And I'm going to ask you to do something huge today. In your outline, there is a blank line under the words, the person who comes to mind when I dream of revenge. And I'm going to challenge you to have the guts to write the name of that person down. Tough work. Maybe it's the parent who never showed up at a single event in your life and you can still hear their excuses ringing in your ears. Maybe it's the employer who just walked in one day and kicked you to the curb because they had the power and the authority to be able to do that. Maybe it's a brother or a sister who should have had a certain role in your life and, and, and they just exchanged it for something else. Maybe it's your ex-wife or your ex-husband who fought you for custody over your kids and did unthinkable things to make you pay for the breakup of your relationship. Maybe you don't even know the name of the person who victimized you, but you can see their face. That's the person I'm talking about. Whoever it is, when I started talking about revenge, their face was never more than a thought away for you. Because they hurt you, and they hurt you bad. And now keep that person in mind as you picture that bent tree, because you're going to need to hold on to that tree for just a couple of seconds, because I'm going to read some words from God that are going to make you cringe, and they're going to go against your natural instinct to want to lash out at the person that hurt you. 
God said, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, says the Lord. I will repay. Okay, none of us are going to like this, but this is what God says. According to God, seeking revenge is irreverent. It's not ill-advised, it's not unwise, it's flat-out irreverence. And I want you to keep that thought in the forefront of your mind as we enter into the last week of our series called Bent. We've been doing a series studying this young man named Joseph who we met at the age of 17. And this week, Joseph is going to have the moment that we all dream about. He's going to have a moment when the people who hurt him the most are going to come and stand right in front of him and he's going to have both means and opportunity to seek revenge and take it to them. Don't pretend you haven't dreamed about it. That moment when you just, you had your shot. If you've missed any of the weeks previous... I'm just going to recap very, very quickly. So here's what we've covered so far in the last six weeks. We learned that Joseph was his father's favorite son. He didn't ask to be the favorite, he just was. We learned that Joseph had the gift of dreams and the gift of dream interpretation. We learned God spoke to Joseph in dreams. The problem was, Joseph used his gift immaturely, and his brothers hated him for it. He had a dream that one day all of his brothers would bow down and worship him. If you tend to share that with your siblings, it doesn't go well for you. It didn't go well for Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, ends up in Egypt. And we learn that Joseph ran into God in the darkest moments of his life. Over and over, Joseph encounters something hard, and yet the Bible keeps saying, but God was with him. But God was with him. We saw Joseph pay a high price for making a godly decision. He rejected the sexual advance of the wife of his boss. He did the right thing, and he still ended up in jail. And we learned that he wasn't in jail for a little bit of time, not three weeks, three months, No, we're talking a long time. Joseph was in prison for more than a decade. His character was being bent for somewhere between 11 and 13 years. And last week we saw Joseph had his moment before Pharaoh, and he ended up in charge of everything. He shows up, interprets Pharaoh's dreams, and in an instant he goes from prison to palace. And the amazing thing is this. While he's on that journey, he doesn't forget God. In fact, he keeps embracing Some people would say, how in the world does a kid handle that kind of pressure? You know what, it's no big deal for Joseph because he's just going to act like anybody would act if they were absolutely confident that God was with them. This week we pick up the story where Joseph is managing the economy of Egypt in preparation for a famine. Do you remember Pharaoh's dreams from last week? Seven skinny cows, seven fat cows. Skinny cows eat the fat cows. Kind of an agricultural thing. Then, you know, seven fat heads of wheat, seven skinny heads of wheat, and the seven skinny heads eat the seven fat heads. And and then Joseph just says, Pharaoh, basically, here's what's happening. You've got seven years to prepare. You've got to get it right. Because seven years from now, a famine is going to set into this land, and people are going to be starving, and agriculture is going to be dead. And if you don't get ready right now, it's going to be ugly. People follow Joseph's instructions. All of a sudden, the guy who was in charge of the prison is in charge of the entire country. Joseph leads the preparation. He stores up food for seven years, and then the famine sets in. And it doesn't just affect Egypt. It affects all the nations around. And way off in the distance is his family. A dad with 11 boys. And they're starving. And the dad hears a rumor that there's food in Egypt. So he he lines up his kids and says, you guys need to go to Egypt and find food, or we're going to die here. And the Bible says this in verse 6. 
Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the one who sold grain to all its people. Dum, da, dum, dum, dum. When Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Does anybody remember the first dream? One day, all the, you, you guys are all these stars. You're going to bow down to me. I'm the big star. All of these sheaves of wheat, all of your sheaves are going to bow down to me because I'm the king of wheat and the biggest star. You know what? His application was wrong, but the dream was right, and it just came true. You can read Genesis 37 if you missed it. Genesis 42, starting in verse 7. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Huh, you think? He's been storing it up for a long time. Where do you come from, he asked, from the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. And although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. And there it is. There's the moment we all dream of. The ones who heard him are right in front of him, and he's got all the power, and he's got means and opportunity. All he needs to say is, no grain, and they're dead. He's got it all. We all dream of that moment. The ones who heard us, now all of a sudden they need us. And there's a life principle right there. The people who've hurt you most may one day need you. The Bible talks about the principle of sowing and reaping. These brothers sowed murder, and now Joseph has the power to reap what is white rightfully his. Or is it? God hadn't even said, revenge is mine. I read you that verse. That comes from Romans. It's quoted from later on in the, in the Old Testament. Joseph doesn't even have these instructions yet. But something deep inside of him just says, revenge does not belong to you. Where does that come from? It comes from somebody who's absolutely confident that God is with him. I mean, I'm sure he argued in his mind, right? But God, you put him right in front of me. You know, revenge is mine, says the Lord, but I'm going to share it with you for about 10 minutes. So get out your hammer and your club and just rain down hell on them. Make them pay. Friends, the parent who once neglected you may one day need you to be their caregiver. The spouse who fought you for your kids may one day need your help. The boss who fired you someday may sit across from you with a resume in their hand and you may have the power to employ them or not. We say it this way in our culture. What goes around, comes around. So the question is, is Joseph going to return evil for evil or is he going to do what anybody would do if they were absolutely confident that God is with them? I'm going to cover several decades of history in about 90 seconds. Stick with me, okay? If you read the story, it's a little crazy. Joseph has a moment. He actually throws his brothers in prison. You know, hey guys, you're going to go into prison for a little while. I think you're spies. I'd like to introduce you to a friend of mine. He's the warden. I've known him for a long time. Introduce yourself. Get to know each other. You may be here for a while. And then he ends up setting them free. And then he ends up keeping one brother and then sends the other brother, brothers back with food that Joseph gives them and tells them, you need to go back and bring your littlest brother Benjamin back because Joseph was really attached to Benjamin. And so they end up going back home again and have this argument with their dad. And they're like, Dad, we need to take Benjamin. He goes, you're not taking Benjamin. I go, yeah, but we left one of the brothers behind. You know, Simeon's still back in Egypt. And Jacob's like, well, you know, life happens, you know. 
Sorry about that. You know? And they get in this big disagreement, but then a sudden hunger sets in again. So dad finally gets permission, and they load up Benjamin, and they head back to get more food. And, and they still don't know that the cranky Egyptian that they're dealing with, the bald guy up at the front, is their brother Joseph. They have no clue. One more time, Joseph gives them food. And then he sends them on their way, and they think, oh, finally we're free of this guy. No idea. Man, that guy needs therapy. Like, somebody help him. And Joseph takes his silver cup and hides it in Benjamin's bag. And then sends them off. And these guys think they're free and clear. All of a sudden, here comes Pharaoh's posse. And they line them up and say, we heard you guys stole something. We didn't steal anything. Yes, you did. No, we didn't. They open up a bag, and guess what they find? The cup of the second most powerful man in Egypt. When I read that, I'm just kind of thinking to myself, I wonder how the cupbearer felt when that went missing. You know? <laughs> That's not going to go well for me. I know what happened the first time, right? It's a crazy story. You should read your Bible. It's good, all right? better than HBO. Not that I watched that. Okay, all right, so. All right. All through this story, you keep reading that Joseph's emotional. Genesis 45, verse 2. And he, meaning Joseph, wept so loudly, the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. That means he's crying, he's hurting. Every time he has an encounter with this, this little Hebrew family, the guys in the royal court are just like, what's up with Joseph? We learn another life principle. The pain of betrayal is real, and it has to be dealt with in a way that acknowledges that God is with you. You know, nowhere in Scripture does it say that we're supposed to just forget the pain. It's not biblical. We have to deal with the pain. If you want to heal, you have to go back through the pain and allow God to heal it. That's why we pursue wholeness through recovery of Christ the King because we have an undeniable conviction that says God actually wants to heal His people. Finally, the pain of withholding His identity is so great, Joseph can't take it anymore. Genesis chapter 45, starting at verse 4. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. <laughs> Just be in the moment, right? Like, I'm not going close to him, you go close to him. I want you to get up there, right? You're in charge. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Hey. <laughs> Joe, look good. You know, you're rocking that bald thing. That's good. You know, you got the Pharaoh thing going on there. That's great. You're alive. That's awesome. <laughs> We're dead. <laughs> and then he says, and now do not be distressed. <laughs> Easy for you to say, right? You've got all the power. Don't be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here. <laughs> yeah, you know a little selling thing? You know, I put a price tag on me, stuck me on a shelf, got bought. Yeah, just forget that. We're good. Wow. Because it was to save lives. God sent me ahead of you. I can just imagine. Because you go, whoa, 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 whoa. You, 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 didn't, you didn't send me here. No, this is how it works. God's involved when good things happen to the good people and bad things happen to the bad people. I mean, are you actually trying to tell us here, Joseph, that you actually think God had a part in this entire story, even though it's kind of twisted and upside down, that God was actually with you in the pit and with you in the prison, and now he's with you in the palace? I mean, do you have the audacity to say that God can even take the most broken circumstances and turn it into something beautiful? That's just not humanly possible. 
That's true. It's not humanly possible. God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. I love that moment. It's just like, guys, you need to understand this. He put me here for this second because now I've got thousands of lives in my hands, including yours. Joseph finally figures out the reason for all the bending. All the different pieces suddenly just fall into place and he realized that God has bent him for this. You know, we learn another life principle there. God's purpose is better seen with a wide-angle lens. We get so myopic about God's plans. We have such limited tunnel vision when it comes to our perspective. And we just forget that just because God is silent doesn't mean he's absent. Joseph knows the, all of a sudden the, the rape accusation and the prison and all the stuff that he went through and the dream interpretation were suddenly all converging into this one moment when suddenly it all makes sense because he's now in charge of all of these lives. The Bible tells us he's reunited with his brothers. And instead of exacting revenge... Joseph does the unthinkable. Actually, he just does what anybody would do if they were absolutely convinced that God is with them. The Bible says that Joseph is actually reunited with his father. He actually moves the brothers who sold him into slavery a little closer so that he can look after them, so that he can care for them, so that they do not starve. And years later, Joseph's dad actually passes away, and the brothers start freaking out because they start thinking, okay, now that dad's gone, Joseph's going to get even. He's going to exact his revenge. And they actually do this little weird passive-aggressive thing with Joseph. And he ends up calling them to stand before him one more time. And these are his words as he stands in front of them one more time with all of the power and all of the control and all of the ability to unleash revenge against them. Genesis 50 verses 19 and 20. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Listen to the question. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what's now being done, the saving of many lives. Guys, you thought that you were going to change my destiny, but you had nothing to do with that at all. And, and I have the audacious courage to stand up and say, you had nothing to do with all of the bending that's been going on. In fact, God was a part of all of it. He was, he was sometimes silent, but he was never absent. And now he's brought me to this particular moment. And suddenly I can say, I'm not completely bent, but God has been bending me. And now I get it. I get it. Here comes the culmination of the last seven weeks. Okay. So if you've been like texting or reading the Bellingham Herald and wondering what in the world we've been talking about for seven weeks. Here's the point of the whole thing. Don't miss it, okay? Here's the point. Can I have the next slide? None of the bad in your life, none of it, can ever become good unless you are first willing to acknowledge God's presence in the bad and then refuse to play God when it's good. None of the bad stuff in your life can ever be transformed 
until you're first willing to acknowledge that God was there, even though it was painful and horrific. And you may have even asked the question, where in the world is God? When you acknowledge God's presence in the bad, and then it, God will allow that bad stuff to actually become good stuff in your life when you refuse to play God when it actually turns the corner. So I told you at the beginning of the message a little piece of my story. I allowed my desire for revenge to consume me to the point where I was in a spiritual prison. But just like with Joseph, God kept showing up. Drove me nuts. Just wanted him to leave me alone. He bent me and he shaped me. And then I showed up at a church called Christ the King. And I went to something called 12 Steps, which I thought was for alcoholics and drug addicts. And guess what I found out? It's for pastors. And I got to step number nine where it talks about making amends. And I'm like, I, I had so much anger in me, I wouldn't even write the guy's name down on a piece of paper. My 12-step sponsor, John Havlin, called me out. And he said, Grant, it's not about their side of the street. It's about yours. You need to clean your side of the street, bro. No matter what kind of response you get, it's just about you cleaning your, you got to clean your side. That's what God wants you to do. You need to act like anybody would act. They were absolutely confident that God was with them. So I ended up doing the thing I never thought I would do. I ended up picking up a phone and inviting this guy to come and sit in a coffee shop with me across the table from me. And I told him, I didn't come here to get anything from you. I came here to ask for your forgiveness. Because I've thought terrible things about you. I've wished harm on you. I wanted you to pay. And I need you to forgive me. Because I ended up building a prison around myself. And I want to get out. I need you to forgive me. Now it doesn't always work this way. What was amazing that day was actually forgiveness flowed in both directions. And we were actually reconciled. And we, and we are now friends today. Is it all forgiven and forgotten now? Because we're human beings. But, but, but two brothers can actually sit across from each other and say, I care about you. I want God's best for you. And it doesn't always work that way, but I want to refocus on what John told me. It's about cleaning your side of the street. Because when you clean your side of the street, you're saying, God, bend me. Make me more like you. Okay, don't miss this parallel with our last life principle. Because I know some of you like now, you're just like, no, 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 no. You don't know what that person did. Final life principle. God forgave us when we didn't deserve it. When we forgive, we're simply acting in a way that shows that we are confident that God's with us. Let's make sure we're clear on this, okay? Forgiving is not forgetting. Forgiving is not condoning. Forgiving is not minimizing. Forgiving is not pretending that it didn't happen. Forgiving is simply choosing to not play God, but instead to choose to imitate God. Did you get that? It's like, I'm not going to play God anymore. Revenge belongs to God. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take my hands off of it. I'm going to choose instead to imitate God who forgave us. So let's go back to the person on your line, okay? 
There they are, right? There's the face. Did they hurt you? Yes, they did. Are you angry? Yes, you are. There they are. And as they stand in the middle of your mind and you've got a decision to make, I've got a question for you. How would your life be different? If you were absolutely confident that you can do it. That even while the person who hurt you the most is standing right in front of you, how would your life be different if you chose in that moment to act as anybody would act? If God was with you. Forgive as God forgave you. When it comes to Jesus, anybody else in the room get the exact opposite of what they deserve? A couple of months ago, I introduced a nice big fat theological term so that everybody could think we're way smarter than we actually are. Anybody remember narcissistic eisegesis? That's when we become the hero of every Bible story. My greatest fear today is that you're going to walk out of here going, I get it, Grant, I get it, Grant, be a Joseph, I just got to forgive, that's all good, you know. And, and God's going to somehow exalt me to the highest place and I'm going to end up with a corner office on Wall Street and it's going to be all good. Someday God's going to bring the people that have hurt me most right in front of me and I'm going to have an opportunity. I'm going to go, it's all good, we're fine. That's my greatest fear that that's what you're going to walk out of here with. Because of this simple truth from Scripture. When it comes to the story of Joseph, we're not Joseph. We're the brothers. Some of you are like, am not, are too. <laughs> Think about it. I took God the Father's kid, his son, and my coat of evil colors, everything I've ever done wrong, and I have a checkered past. I wrapped it around his perfect life. And I sold him into the slavery of my own sin. And he did it willingly. He wrapped that coat around himself. He gave his life on a cross. For three days it looked like he lost. But three days later he rose again triumphantly. He beat death once and for all. It's the same story of Joseph. At the end God wins. He wins. But we can't forget the fact we're not Joe. We're the jerks in the story. And when God the Father had an opportunity to exact his revenge against Grant Fishbrook, he gave him exactly the opposite of what he did. When I stood before him with nowhere to turn, starving spiritually, God the Father looked right into my eyes and said, I forgive you. I forgive you. You're not Joe, and you never will be. You're not even going to get to play God. But for the rest of your life, I'm calling you, little man, to imitate God.
extend to those who hurt you exactly the same thing that God extended to those who hurt you. Seven weeks, 13 chapters, and it still comes down to Jesus. Somebody asked me two weeks ago, why do you guys always talk about Jesus? <laughs> We're like a band with one song, right? We just... You think he shows up in the Old Testament? Wait till we get to Colossians next week. Oh my goodness. I'm going to spontaneously combust right in front of you. We have some hard work to do today. For some of us, it's to actually step up to the line and say, am I actually going to play God or imitate God? For some of us, we're having the struggle. Am I finally going to bend a knee to Jesus? I finally got it. He loves me so much that he gave me what I don't deserve. Am I, am I going to walk out of here the same way I walk out every single weekend or every two weekends or every three weekends or whatever like that, however the rotation works for you? Am I going to walk out the same way or is today the day when I finally go, he offered forgiveness, I'm going to receive it. Some of you are going to have an opportunity to play God in the next five to six hours. My question is this, are you going to react differently if you're absolutely confident in that moment? That God is with you. My friends, the work's not done in church. The work's done in your life. I don't know what I'm going to face this week. I have no idea. But I know this. I may have been bent. But I'm not broken. I may have smoldered, but I'm not burned out. I am absolutely confident that God is with me. May you have that confidence. Let's pray together as we close. Lord Jesus, I, I pray for everybody in the room right now who has that face imprinted on their mind. God, I pray right now that they would choose not to play God, but to imitate God. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus right now that they would have the courage to follow your biblical instruction to not seek revenge, but instead just to hand that person over to you and all of the memories and all of the pain and all of the hurt, just to hand it all over to you in an act of reverence. God, it doesn't make the pain disappear instantaneously, but I thank you for opportunities when we get an opportunity not to play you, but to imitate you. God, I pray for all of my brothers and sisters who've been struggling because they feel like they relate to Joseph in the pit and they relate to him in the prison, but now that he's in the palace, he just seems untouchable. God, I pray that these words would keep ringing through their ears, that God was with him. 
Lord, I pray for every one of my brothers and sisters, myself included, who are going to have a moment sometime this week and we're going to have to make a decision. I pray that the question that would pop into the back of our mind would be, how would I react or respond in this moment if I was absolutely confident that God was with me? Lord, I pray for those who are here who do not have a personal relationship with Jesus. And I pray today, right now, they would just have an understanding in their heart and in their mind that their sin separates them from God, but that God went to such extreme lengths to build a bridge to them that He was willing to send His Son to die on a cross and be raised three days later to defeat sin and death once and for all just so God could give to them what they don't deserve. I pray right now, God, that those in the room who do not know Jesus Christ as Savior would confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus was exactly who He said He was, that He died on a cross to save their sin, that He triumphed over death three days later, and that He desperately wants to welcome them into His family so that they can know He is with So, Lord, I pray for those who may not know Christ. I pray right now they would just simply pray, Jesus, I give my heart to you. Thank you for giving me what I don't deserve. Thank you for forgiving my sin and healing my heart. And God, now please help me not to play God, but to imitate God with those who hurt me. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the holiness of this moment. I thank you for this journey as we get ready to turn our attention to a different part of Scripture leading all the way through Easter. God, would you continue to bend us into the beautiful picture and the beautiful purpose that you have for each one of our stories. We give you glory, honor, and praise as the God who forgives the God of Joseph, and the God of Christ the King Church. And we pray these things in your precious name. And all the brothers agreed together and said, Amen. Amen.